Listener Production. Welcome to part B of episode 63 of the Howie Games featuring Shane Warne. If you haven't listened to part A, you're coming in halfway through, stop, go back, listen to A and then rejoin us. Alrighty, let's continue with Warney. You obviously you got another run in the test side. We won't go into it, but you probably made your mark in Sri Lanka when you got three late wickets and A-Bay gave you a bowl and you yep. won a test match, which for cricket historians, they'll understand that story. But but you mentioned it before. As soon as, and I did it this morning, as soon as you Google Shane Warne, the yep. first thing that pops up is Mike Gatting, ball of the century. Right. And you mentioned um, it changed your life. Can you indulge me? And it's the first time you're going to bowl in an Ashes match yep. in England. You've got the ball in the hand, I presume A-B. Yes, yeah, captain. captain yep. He said, come on. Yep. What happens next? Um, so I get told I'm bowling the next over at that end. So I stand at the top of my mark, I look at my field, and I'm about to bowl a first ball in an Ashes series. And I'm like, geez. You know, I'm starting to get nervous because you think back to I was there in 1989 playing league cricket, yep. and that's when the Ashes were regained by Australia after a long period of time. And... Um, I, I thought, geez, how good does that Ashes series look? It looks like. So now I'm part of it. Now I'm about to bowl. <laughs> and I, I thought back to the plane and I – and a, like a funny flashback, once again, it was Merv. I said, I said, mate, what's so – I understand the Australia, England and all that, the Ashes, and it's big. It gets bigger every year, by the way, the mm. Ashes, no matter how bad Australia are or England, how bad they are. It just gets bigger, the Ashes. And I said, what's so good? He said, put it this way, we're sponsored by a beer company. He said, there's still rest days in test cricket. <laughs> He said, England are crap and we'll probably beat them 4-0. He said, they're outstanding. And he said, if you take wickets early on, that means you don't play tour games. <laughs> so I've had, you know, I saw that gave me a bit of a laugh. So I'm standing at the top of Mark. I, Graham Gooch is at the non-strikers end and he's sort of staring at me the whole time. I've got Mike Gadding, who's arguably one of the best players of spin in the world, definitely England's best spin player of spin. And their spinner had taken five for... In the first innings, Peter Such, the wicket's turning, so the expectation is going to turn. The first game, tour game of the Ashes, we played against Graham Hick, and he made, I think, 200. He hit me for 13 sixes right. in that practice game. He was the next big thing. That's right. And because uh, uh, before the game, Alan Border said, mate, I just want you to bowl leg breaks, nothing else. Before said, the tour game? Yeah, he said, he said no wrong-uns, no flippers, no nothing, because this Hick guy he could be big for them. And I went, oh. Should be good enough anyway. Eh? Well, anyway, as I said, 13 sixes later, he smashed me all over the park. So I get to the first test match and I'm like, geez, you know, I wonder if I'm going to get picked. I get picked. So now I'm finding myself, I'm standing at the top of the mark, about to bowl my first ball. And I'm thinking, right, stick your chest out and just try and rip this as far as you possibly can. Just send a message, just spin it as far as you can. Doesn't matter if it takes a wicket, doesn't matter what it does, just bowl it so it spins. Just take a breath and I go, and as all the releases out of the hand, you know it's good. Now, whether it takes a wicket, whether it spins past the bat, whether they run down and pat it away or they smash it, I know it's a good delivery. And then what unfolded after that was, you know, what people now call the ball of the century. It was the, probably, it was the perfect leg spinner to do it first ball. It was a complete fluke. It was a complete fluke. I've ne- I never did it again. <laughs> Bowled a ball like that first ball, ever. First ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery 
Gadding has absolutely no idea what has happened to it. He still doesn't know. So it was just one of those things I think was meant to be. Um, and it was also the first year of what we called the big screens at the ground. We never used to have them. Yep. So, you know, it happened and Ian Healy's going, oh, boy, have a look at this. This is good. So we all look up and I sort of went, uh, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. So it was uh, one of those feelings that I thought, geez. So suddenly, though, the, the expectations that I could do that all the time um, weren't easy to sort of live up to my own expectations. Not everybody else's, but everyone else. So you put into the mix everyone else's expectations and your own. Um, to try and recreate that and do that all the time, um, it, it just doesn't happen. But it, was, it, it did change my life because suddenly you know, I was on the front page, back page, who is this guy? Let's know more about it. I was picking up the paper on the bus going to the next game going, 10 things you didn't know about Shane Warne. I'm going, well, I didn't know that either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm reading all this stuff going, what the hell? I, that's not true. <laughs> so it was my first sort of also things about how things just weren't true that were being written as well. And then what do you do about that? Do you just let it slide? Do you not? And I'm going, well, you can't write that. It's not true. So he spent so much waste, so much energy on stuff that just in the end didn't really matter. My kids are involved in this podcast. Right. Uh, my daughter and my son, uh, who have good nicknames. My daughter is uh, known as The Pickle. I don't really the know why. The Pickle. Um, I played her the ball of the century this morning. Yeah. Normie Sharman, whoever's enthused, then asks a question of the guest. Right. Uh, you get the pickle. Right. She was well, thank you very much. This morning, where you need the to uh, hear the question before you think it too much. This <laughs> okay. was this morning. Here we go. Hi, Warnie Pickle here. I just watched your ball of the century. It was so cool. <laughs> Big fat cat didn't know what was going on. <laughs> Is that the best ball you've ever bowled? <laughs> Oh, how cute. That's awesome. Um, well, thank you very much for the question, Pickle. Um, I enjoy that. Uh, I would have to say yes. Right. It would be. Um, I've probably bowled better balls but never took a wicket. Um, so that would have to be the best ball I've ever bowled to take a wicket, yes. And one, as I said, changed my life. And the fact that Richie Benno was calling it, yep. I think, adds to it even more. As I said, the thing I like about the podcast is you can skip around. What was it like when you first sat down in a commentary box next to Richie Benno? Yeah. um, uh, uh, Intimidating. Was it? Yeah. Uh, After the Ashes 93, I signed with Channel 9. Uh, I was called into Kerry Packer's office. uh, And he said, son, I want you to be part of the Nine Network. I want you to learn how to commentate because everyone needs to think about their future. And I said... Mate, I'm 23 years old. You know, I think I'm, I like to think I'm going to play for a few more years. Well, you just don't know, son. Say, I want you. So he put me onto a guy called John Murphy down here in Melbourne, and he. I watched old footage of cricket tapes, listening to the commentators. Um, I just sort of learnt the business a little bit. I, I'm not saying I know the business, but I learned how things worked. TV. What, what was your first gig for nine? My first gig was on the Monday after I'd signed in 1993. I was 23 years old. Um, or it might have just turned 24, somewhere like that there. And it was the Ernie and Denise show. So I signed on the Friday. I got a call on the Sunday night um, by Murph to say, uh, Dermot Brereton has, he's not available to read the sport on the Ernie and Denise show. Uh, we want a, you to read the sport. Auto cue style. And I went, sure. So I, they said, you need to be there at 5.30. I went, what? Sorry, 5.30 <laughs> in the morning on Monday. I said, yeah, sure, okay. So I get there at 5.30 and they said, we're going to teach you about autocue. I said, what's autocue? I didn't have a clue what autocue was. So they said, well, it's basically helping you read the sport, that, but you're not meant to look like you're reading. 
I said, all right, okay, well, let's have a crack at it. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, that's right. So I said, so they showed me and I went, well, on the weekend, Mary, and I'm sort of squinting, looking at it, trying to read what it says. I'm going, Mary Pierce beat. And they said, right, okay, so the first thing you want to do is make it, it's just to help you talk, but don't look at it like you're talking. You can move your head and talk to Ernie. So we did these rehearsals and practice and all that sort of stuff. So now I'm a bit like panicking a bit, right? <laughs> After two hours, I'm getting the speed right and everything. I sat there and Ernie and Denise is there and Ernie goes, well, it's a great pleasure to welcome Shane Warner. This is 93. Great uh, to welcome Shane Warner, who's just back from the Ashes series. He's signed with Channel 9, so we'd like to announce that. And also, he's got some sport for us. Over to you, Shane. And I went... Well, thanks very much, Ernie. Thanks, Denise. Uh, yes, we have got a big... And I'm just looking at it, reading this. I'm going, we've had a huge weekend in uh, sport. We've got Mary Pierce beat... Uh, he goes... Uh, uh, I said, sorry, uh, Mary Price beat... <laughs> and he goes, uh, who? who? I said, uh, Price Pierce, doesn't matter. She Mary beat... <laughs> so I, I never did it again. Right. <laughs> but that was my first sort of gig into it. And then when I was injured in 96... Um, they asked me to join the commentary team and I did, uh, I can't remember how many test matches I did that summer when I was injured. Um, but I remember sitting down, first of all, they said, you've got to look there, there's your times you're commentating. So I looked up and I had me and Tony Gregg. So I sat in the chair and no one said anything to me. So I didn't know That's it. what what was, it, like, what do I do? No one told me. There was Richie Chaps, um, Richie, Ian Chappell, Tony Gregg, Bill Laurie, uh, there might have been, I don't know, whoever we were playing, there was probably one of them, but they were the, really the only commentators. So I sat in the chair and he goes, well, here we go. This is a huge moment. Thanks very much for joining us, Shane Warren. And, he's, and away he went. And I said, okay. And I held, sort of held the mic up. I said, oh, thanks very much, Tony. Like, I had no idea. What's next? What, what do I do now? Um, so then, you know, after we finished our sort of stint, he said, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you a few little things. So he said, right, yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So he sort of said, look, less is more. Um, he said, don't tell the viewers what they can see. Uh, he said, try and describe what's happening and then give them some options. So it was obviously exactly similar to what Kerry Packer had told me. Uh, and then over the years of doing it, I sort of just tried to put my own spin on it and be myself because you can't try and be somebody else. You've got to try and be yourself. And um, I love – Bill was my favourite. I love Bill Laurie. I just think he bought something. He, he enhanced the pictures that you were watching. And as a kid growing up, I think what he also did, you'd have the volume up. Yep. Even if you're playing cricket in the backyard or you're having a swim or whatever, you'd still have the volume loud enough that you could hear it. Got him! Yes! God! And you'd run inside <laughs> and, and Bill would be like, that's it on your bike. God, yeah. And I just, I just always remember that. Just got him! Gone! Bill going berserk. And I just remember it. Which is why it's such an, I think, important role what what you guys do because you're the voice of summer. We are, and it's you too, Howie. Well, yeah, you I'm, too, I'm Howie. A very small no, voice. Part, but, we're all part of well, it. I have thought we all that, play our part. And I grew up playing backyard cricket and listening to these guys yourself. It's ingrained in the Australian yep. psyche. So it's such an important role to so many people, isn't it? Now I see kids now yep. and they've been watching the cricket and it's it's a huge role in the Australian fabric, I reckon. It is. You've got to sell the game. Yeah. You're, you're a salesman. You're a, you're a commentator. You're trying to enhance the pictures. You want people to stay on and watch you watch the cricket so you have to keep it entertaining. 
you can't waffle, you can't talk too much. And people think it's easy talking about the cricket, but six hours of live cricket of a test match, we've been lucky this summer where it's been quite exciting, so there's been a bit to talk about. But, you know, you think back to Boxing Day 2017, mm. it was a slow old game. We, Tasmania when you had West Indies playing we, Australia. We had this conversation, I, I think I was doing a Howie Games in America actually, um, and I was coming back and yep. we'd both signed with yep. Fox um, and you said to me in, I think in the LAX lounge, yep. you said, mate, you know, the, the Big Bash has gone really well but it's a whole different ball yeah. game commentating test cricket and after the first day in Adelaide, I don't yeah. know if you remember, I put yeah. your side and said, You're right. now I know what you mean. It's, yeah. it's a... Um, it's, it's a, mentally for yeah. a commentator. People don't. They think it's easy to sit yeah. there and talk about the game, but it's not. You got to know when to stop talking. You got to know when to really. If you've only got something to add, then talk. Otherwise, yep. don't let the pictures talk. And like your previous, but all run. of us sometimes. All of us have the tendency to sometimes yeah. talk too much. All of us. Yep. Richie was the ultimate one who who never really talked too much. If anything, he was less, and he worked on the theory less is more, and everyone loved him. Do you so think it'll work now? That, I think broadcasting has evolved and changed because there was no 2020 back then and, and, and really one-day cricket was still similar to test cricket. Where 2020 is a completely different audience, it's a younger audience, and if you look at sport commentators around the world, the movement and how it's evolved is let's show more excitement, let's be more loud. Let's be, God damn, yes, that's our what a moment. So you're calling these moments because what ended up happening is they get shown on Twitter, news feeds, uh, news services all around the world because everyone's trying to get content to post out there. So those moments that captured right then and there to capture the moment of what happened are very important to have that um, that commentary. And if you get it right, it's, it helps the pictures. Back to cricket. Now you get my son. Oh, so I've had the pickle. Now you get the big penguin. The big penguin. So I've got pickle and big penguin. And named himself... Four years ago. So self-... Self, um, self, self uh, nicknamed. Right, okay. No one really knows where it came from. Um, <coughs> we should probably leave it there about yes, the big pickle. Yes, uh, Important day for him, as you're about to hear, but this is his Does question. he like the pickles in McMacca's when you go uh, there to... She loves the pickles. Oh, sorry, the, she, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the penguin is not so happy with right, the pickles. Right, okay, okay. Here we go. Yes. Hi, Warning Big Penguin here. It's my <laughs> birthday today, and I got a really cool bike. What was your favourite birthday present you got and also have you ever got a hat trick i've never got a hat trick but i've really wanted to so you got the two-parter wow what a question the big penguin turned seven today yeah he turned seven today very well, proud ha- of first himself. of all is um happy birthday big pickle uh, big, big pe- penguin, big penguin. <laughs> i'm just trying to... a lot of people get confused don't, don't worry, worry the third one's going to be called big pickle <laughs> uh, there's no third uh, it is it ain't mine and that's a concern we... come on um so your favorite birthday present my favourite birthday present, uh, Mr. Big Penguin, would be... Um, I, I tell you what, a bike was one of my first, and I, and I remember seeing my father in the middle of the night. I knew my birthday was the next day. And I remember looking out the window and seeing my dad making the bike. And I remember thinking, wow, how good does that look? Um, so, yeah, that was one of my first memories. So a bike the same uh, as you, Big Penguin. And I think, yes, I have. Out of all the cricket I've played in junior cricket, I've only ever taken one hat-trick. I've been on a hat-trick a few times, but I've only ever taken one hat-trick, and that was Boxing Day 94 against England. 
I knocked over Freitas. Phil De Freitas, LB. Oh! oh, and they hit the pad. Yes, he's got him. That's out. LBW. That hit the pad, and that is the end of De Freitas. Darren Goff caught behind. Great catch from Ian Healy. Oh, and that's out. Caught behind. Yes, he's got him. Fast ball. Beautifully bowled by Ward. Goff just pushing forward. A faint little touch there. It danced a little bit. May have been off the glove or perhaps high on the bat. But that is the end of Goff. Two wickets in two balls. Well bowled. And then the third one, Devin Malcolm came out looking like Robocop. <laughs> he had that much padding on. I'm thinking, what the hell's he got all this padding on for? It was David Boone's birthday, the keg on legs. And I thought, what am I going to bowl? I end up bowling like a top spinning leg spinner because I thought he's just going to go forward and block it. So if I can get one to bounce and turn, he'll either nick it, hopefully bat pad it, uh, or miss it and just get bowled. So I said, right, that's it. Took a breath. Here we go. Fleming took the last one. Merv Hughes before him. Came in, bowled it. He pushed forward, hit the glove, went to his left. And David Boone, the keg on legs, was flying through the air, took it just off the ground in his right hand and threw the ball up in the air, put his hands up in the air. <laughs> and um, oh, it was just awesome. And you talk about the commentary about Richie about the Mike Gouting ball. Tony Gregg? Tony Gregg on the hat-trick ball. Yes, he's got him. He's got a hat-trick to <laughs> Shane Ward. And he goes berserk. That was, that's awesome. Yes! in his career what a catch by David Boone and I'll tell you if anyone if we can get the pictures if we ever get the pictures one day or if you're ever searching on Google or YouTube whatever slow it down or pause it just as he gloves it to David Boone because Mark War is it silly mid off and Mark War goes around to say well done to me and I'm straight to David Boone so he has to do this U-turn he's sort of <laughs> high-fiving no one and coming back is very, very funny. Well, we actually should try and get it up over Boxing Day. We'll try and get we'll it, get up, it up through up. the test we, matches, yeah. We will definitely it get funny. it up. In previous series, we have mentioned private Howie Games podcasts. If you have loved ones, friends, someone that has inspired you, or someone close to you whose story you want to be recorded for posterity, please send us an email at thehowiegames at hotmail.com. That's Howie, H-O-W-I-E, thehowiegames at hotmail.com. We'll try and organise for me to sit down and have a chat, just like a normal episode. It's not for broadcast, but for a family memory. Back to warning. You've had some amazing moments at the MCG, um, and it seems a shame in a way to skip through your career, but I think as someone that was there, um, your 700th test wicket, Mm -hmm. before we talk about that, the kid that got smacked around by Ravi Shastri mm-hmm. to becoming the best of his craft of all time. Let's be mm-hmm. let's be honest about it. Mm-hmm. What did that mean to you to come from such humble beginnings to be the greatest? And what does it mean um, to you now, Shane? Well, I think when I first started, all you want to do when you get picked is not embarrass yourself. <laughs> you know, you just want to be try and do okay. As you sort of get over that, and you start to think you do a few things that you think, yeah, oh, you know what, I might be good enough for this level. So when I played uh, the West Indies, the great West Indies side then, in 92 at Boxing, I took seven for 50 on the last day and helped Team win a match. test match for Australia. The West Indies are on the ropes. And that could be the end of the test match. Seven wickets for Shane Warne. Big Merv's got great hands. He won't miss it. And there it is. A great victory for Australia and a tremendous day's work for Shane Warne. 
his best bowling ever in first-class cricket. And what a time to do it, and what a place to do it in front of his own crowd here at the MCG. Richie Richardson with a great flipper. Yeah, when I did that, I started to realise that, yes, I am good enough for this level. So once you realise you're good enough, it's about then saying, well, how good can I be? And the other thing about that is there's nothing like knowing you're playing the next game in any sport. When you, know, when you don't know and you're playing for your spot, you don't play the same as when you know you're playing the next game. When you know you're playing the next game in AFL or in cricket or whatever, you take a few more risks. When you're not sure, you're cautious and you don't want to make a mistake. So you don't play with that freedom. So I suddenly then was prepared to go around the wicket and try silly things. I tried wrongins and flippers and also I was prepared to gamble. If I bowled a few bad balls, it's okay because I know I'm going to play the next game. And I wouldn't have tried them in my early days in the first few games because I didn't want to, in case I stuffed it up. Um, So over that time, I started to think, you know, once I played the West Indies, then we played England and then South Africa, then India, then Pakistan. And I started to play all the different countries and have success against all of them. I started to think, well, okay, how good, let's, let's come on. And, you know, you don't play for records, but suddenly, you know, the fastest is 300, the fastest of 400. Now he's the first person ever to take five. He's broken the world record. And it's like, that doesn't drive you. You just, you're just playing to win. And if you play for long enough, all those things happen if you do, do well enough. So I've always told young sportsmen, not just cricketers, I've spoken to a lot of sportsmen, And I've always said to them, look, if you look after on the field Mm -hmm. and do it well, everything else will look after itself off the field. Don't worry about records, sponsorships, anything like that. It'll naturally look after itself if if you just do well on the field. So, you know, in the end, it was like, you know, I mean, my script writer through my whole life was pretty amazing. To to think I played 145 test matches, but when I retired... Uh, in 2006 and at the MCG about to play my last ever game at the MCG I'm on 699 wickets now one extra wicket in those other 140 odd test matches it's like yeah it's crazy oh, like, how does that happen you know we're bowling in Perth to try and win the test match and win the Ashes and I take the last couple of weeks so we knock them over now if I had got one more there I would have got 700 in Perth and it would, but it's just the way it all panned out it's like who like so I was very very lucky with that but even more importantly, the era that I played in of Australian cricket, I think, stands up against any team uh, at any stage of the world. And you think of the uh, the 80s with the Windies. I think that the West Indies of the 80s and our best team that we had in that period that I, I think would give them a run for their money. Now, yes, we didn't have a Viv Richards. Well, yes, we didn't have, you know, the Ambrose, Walsh, all those guys at their peak and stuff. But, geez, we had a good side. Oh, and it would have been a great match. And I mean, Viv Richards is the only player, besides Bradman, uh, Viv Richards is the only player I would have loved to have bowled to that I sometimes think, geez, I would have loved to have bowled to him. I mean, we all would have tested ourselves against Bradman. Yeah, he would have smashed us all over the park. But <laughs> probably the same with Viv. But you would have liked to, I would have loved to have tested myself against the best. And that to me, Viv Richards was the best batsman outside. I mean, every argument you talk about, you can't talk about Bradman because he was the best and there's no debate about that. But everyone else you can debate about. Uh, to me, Viv was the best, and I don't think anyone comes near him. I mean, in my, in my era, Tendulkar and Lara were the best two. I mean, they were they were easily the best. The next best after that, you can, you know, the the Kevin Petersons, the Graham Gooches, the Ricky Pontings, the Jacques Callis, Sankakara. You can keep going. They were all terrific, greats yep. and wonderful players. But 
the two standouts of our era were Lara and Tendulka. They were special. They were unbelievable at what they could do to any attack in any condition. So, and I think Viv was. I mean, he got voted. I think one of the five. He was one of the five cricketers as well of the century. So you're the only one that wasn't a sir. There's Brad. Yes. Well, it's a long way to Australia for the sir. Hobbs, Viv, Sir Garfield. You talked about the scriptwriter, mate. What happens in a couple of instances where the script doesn't go your way? Mm -hmm. Um, Reading in your book, I was really interested to read about because now when you hear. Uh, match fixing. Yep. We know match fixing as it is today. Mm-hmm. Where well, we all know about it, we get a briefing before the summer mm-hmm. to be told to watch out for approaches. You and Mark War got in a difficult situation, but in a very, very different time. A very different yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, you've got to remember back, oh, was it 92 or 93? Sounds about 90 right. 4. Those early 90s, it was one of those things, there was never any talk about match fixing or anything like that. And, you know, I was a little bit different to Junior. Uh, where he had a business deal and I met this guy as a friend of Mark's. Um, and, you know, any friend of Mark's was a friend of mine. And, I mean, the story's all in my books. I'm not going to go into all the details about all of that stuff. But, you know, I've never, ever done anything wrong on a cricket field I'm, as in a way of trying to throw a game or bowl a bad ball on purpose. I'm, that's just not me. I've, and I think people watching me play the game would, would see the way how much I cared about how passionate I was about it and never did that. But... To be even talked about that I possibly could have, I mean, that hurt. Um, and that was disappointing that, you know, I was naive to think that, you know, some guy gave me five grand at casino, that that's what I lost five grand. Rings me a couple of times, just wish me Merry Christmas and stuff, and suddenly I found out later he was a bookmaker. I went, holy shit, he's a bookmaker. Um, okay, well, so I copped the fine. So, yeah, I... I did the wrong thing, but I didn't do the wrong thing knowingly. You know, I was a bit naive to it and should have probably just not take the five grand off someone. Um, but, I mean, there's a lot more to just taking the five grand and I'm not going to go into 20 minutes, half an no. hour about how it was, but it was one of these things where the guy had no, he said, no strings attached. I saw you lose that. Here's five grand. Um, you know, I'm a wealthy man. I said, I don't need your money. I, don't, I turn it down, turn it down, turn it down. He said, look, there's the five grand chip. I'll put it on the table, lost it at the casino again. So uh, it was nothing... There wasn't anything sinister. It's a bit like the diet diuretic that my mum gave me. I never ever blame my mum for that. And it's disappointing when people say I did. All I did was say I got a, di- a fat pill off my mum because I didn't want them to think that I'd subscribed to it online from some country that you're not allowed to or it was from a black market or anything like that. Which, so it cost you a World Cup? Cost you... Cost me 2003 a year World Cup, a year out of the game. But in a way that sort of helped me because, you know, I'd been playing... The best part of uh, 1990 to nearly 15 years um, of first-class cricket. My body, I'd been through four shoulder operations. I'd had knee ops. I'd been through a lot. So it gave me a year just to do some things I wanted to do, and that was I wanted to get my golf handicap down. I got down to 6.4. I wanted to learn how to drive properly, so I was going to get my CAMS licence. I I did all the advanced driving courses and learned how to do all that properly. Um, I spent a lot of time with my family. We went away on some holidays and... And so, and I let my body refresh. Um, so, yeah, those sort of things, they hurt looking back for them. But I know myself that I didn't do, you know, I didn't do the wrong thing on purpose. Um, yes, I'm naive. Yes, with the, with, the, with the diuretic, I should have read a book. I should have asked someone. But I didn't think my mum was going to give me some stuff that was on the ban list. And here it is, Howie. A couple of years after that, it got taken off because it was proven to not ba- uh, mask anything. Right. So and that's what we said. I've had 13 tests and they're all the same. So it hasn't masked anything. 
how can you rub him out when it hasn't masked anything? And then a few years later, it was taken off the list because it was proven not to mask anything. So, so, I so just how, take that with it. You know, it's just one of those things. How have you dealt? And we'll get to how you deal with success and how you become successful. But mm-hmm. how have you dealt with the difficult times in your life? I'm not talk specifics, but in yeah, general, when things haven't gone your way. I just think when things don't go, go the way you want them to, or when things happen that are bad. Um, and it affects other people and it's your fault. Um, and you, like, at the end of the day, I feel I let down my family, friends and my children. Uh, that's hurtful. Um, how do you handle it? You sort of just sit in the house and sulk um, for a while. And then once you get there, you go, come on, get out, lift yourself up and stop being a bloody idiot. Come on. Um, so I always... It's disappointing when those things happen and you let down people, but at the end of the day, you, you you can't change it. It's happened. So it's how you deal with things rather than um, constantly think of what actually happened. It, it's like, move on, you know, move on. And in this country, I think there's too many things that we harp on. Like we're still talking about sandpaper gates. Like it's nearly 12 months ago. Get over it. It's a negative world in which we live these days, though. It is. And everyone likes to harp on that. All the good stuff very rarely gets done, and there's plenty of good stuff. Now, out of all the things, the most hurtful thing that's happened to me out of everything probably was the foundation. I I went on a trip of a lifetime in 2003 when I was out for a year, and I went with Dave Rogers, challenged kids with cancer. We took 10 kids on a trip of a lifetime to America, and I went all around America with these 10 kids, um, showing them America. And I thought, look, I've been going to hospitals, I'd visited families, I'd helped out, I'd donated money and all those things over my you know, 15 years or whatever up until that point. And I thought, there's something more I can do. There's got to be something more. So I said, you know what, I'm going to start up my own foundation for all the children that fall through the cracks because a few friends of mine, one, I won't say his name, but his son has got autism. Now, what I didn't realise 20 years ago, there was different levels of autism i thought if you had autism you had autism Mm -hmm. but there are different levels of autism and his son didn't meet the criteria to have funding for autism because he didn't have it um a certain level certain level right so i was like well hang on what happens to how does he get help so that was sort of like okay all those things in the mix i've got my children there and they were healthy and I was so happy about that and visiting all those children that weren't as lucky as mine I thought there's more I can do so I set up my foundation put a board together um, put in my own money I put in $50,000 my own money to start it Uh, I got a few friends to put in $50,000 as well and they helped me so I had $250,000 to start I hired one person to help me Uh, we rented an office and we started putting on events and whatever money we raised, we gave away. Um, obviously, you have to hold back running costs, which were, you know, I, I, we paid 70 grand or 50 grand back then, I think, when we started. And the maximum we ever paid anyone was 75. Um, then when the global financial crisis hit, we had a couple of really bad years. Like, it's not just washed its face. We made a bit more than that. But it was difficult. Not many people were buying signed cricket bats or signed photos. They wanted to start, everyone started to want these experiences that money can't buy. So we had to sort of change the dynamics in the charity world. We had to change how you did your functions because people, as I said, weren't buying a bat or, or, or that. So we started offering like 
10 people come and have a net with me. Um, play poker with myself and Joe Hash and we'll come to your house with 10 of your mates. Experiences. Experiences, right? Buy. So that started, then we got back on track and we started to do really well because we had to come up with other things. But then to be accused that we were throwing parties, like a charity poker event was throwing parties for my friends, to accuse guys like Eddie Maguire, Annie Peacock, Glenn Robbins, David Evans, Andrew Bassett and myself that were on the board that we were doing this for our friends, that we were... 16 cents in the dollar which was factually incorrect um it just wasn't right and i and i and i to try and just get there and try and defend ourselves about what we were doing changing children's lives and families and making a difference i mean we gave over four nearly four and a half million dollars we gave away in that time there was a company called lifelight we saved 53 children's lives by helping this company lifelight and i mean i could go on and on and on about that but to be accused of doing the wrong thing to be um accused of of things that just weren't true and factually incorrect was so hurtful because what do you put on time what price do you put on time eddie mcguire ed would you mind coming to the monash hospital and help us sing to kids and help visit you know michael clark brennan goddard nick rewalt um andy lee all these ambassadors that were helping us do things and the board that would do these things and buy their own tickets, buy their tables and and things like that. It was just so disappointing to be accused of that. Um, Campbell Brown went to swim the English Channel for us Mm -hmm. and we were raffling off a car for it. And we sell tickets to our friends, right? Come on, Howie, buy a ticket. Um, You know, so dad, mum, brother, mates. So Mick Malloy draws draws the raffle out of the winning car. I went to my old PA, Helen Nolan, who hadn't worked for me for a couple of years, but suddenly everyone goes, oh, it's rigged. It's I mean, it was probably the worst case scenario that happened, but it was, we're not going to fudge a raffle to give to my PA, who didn't work for me anymore. So there were all those things that happened. My brother was working for me. Yes, he was. And uh, he worked for me for three years and he did a terrific job and we raised a lot of money. Um, but I wasn't looking after my brother to pay him. He was running my foundation. And he, I trust him. You got to have people you trust in those things. He was doing a good job. He had experience in that field. So all those things to be accused of, that, that over everything, that hurt the most. We need to go and do a game of cricket soon. Yes. So what I'm going to do is, with no planning, mm-hmm. just ask you some questions and you just give me the first thing that comes in your right. head. Shoot. Favourite car you've ever had? Lamborghini Superleggero. as the best car I ever had. But my favourite... No spokes, are you holding? No, no. That was an unbelievable car. My first car was a TC Cortina, which was awesome, but the Lamborghini Superleggero was <laughs> something was black. It was... I'd never driven something like... It was unbelievable. I mean, I only had it for a short time, but it was an unbelievable car. Not to 100 in... Oh, it would have been a few seconds, <laughs> three seconds, probably three and a bit. You're sitting down for your favourite meal. Because yes. there's so much disgust about what you eat. Mm-hmm. What is your number one meal you could have? Ham and pineapple pizza. Ham and pineapple pizza. That or lasagna. People don't. I like lasagna better than Garfield, the cat. <laughs> I could eat more lasagna than Garfield, the cat. So we went to a restaurant at Crown before the first test match, and yes. you're like, no, no, I'm fine. This, yeah. this is not for me. Yeah, but no. that's not show for you. You're just a man that likes simple food. Yeah. I mean, I'll have a steak and chips. I'll have a chicken and chips. I'll have a bit of chook by itself or I'll have lasagna with a bit of garlic bread. Uh, uh, fancy restaurants to me are 
right up there in the overrated category. Yeah. <laughs> They're up there with holding hands, dancing <laughs> while sober, <laughs> queuing, third you ball. Like, I mean, I, I could keep going and going. Third ball. I could keep going and going and going. Queuing is another big one. Uh, two buttons on a shirt, uh, champagne. Uh, I, drivers that think being in the right lane is okay. The right lane is not the fast lane, it's the overtaking lane. Men with umbrellas, that's one for me. But Men for umbrellas, yes. You. I mean, we could keep going, <laughs> but we should start a big list. Your favourite moment in cricket? Walking out onto the Sydney cricket ground uh, in my first test match and looking up on the scoreboard and saying, congratulations, Shane Warne, you're the 350th test cricketer to play for Australia. And that made me realise after all that history, there's only been 350 people that have had that opportunity to play for Australia. And I thought, wow. I, I did think after it, it was my last one, but <laughs> was, uh, I, I felt pretty proud then. Your hardest moment in cricket, on field? Hardest moment in cricket, on field? The uh, toss-up between Edge Baston 2005 when uh, accepting that we lost by three runs. That's probably in the semi-final. Grand final when we lost to the West Indies by one run in Adelaide. Um, that was probably the top hardest one to accept, and losing actually, and losing the '96 World Cup final of being unprepared Sri to Sri Lanka. Yeah. Wasn't there dew or something? Yeah, we we batted first, and there was dew on the ground, and we couldn't grip the ball, and we didn't realise that if we had a, when we won the toss, we would have bowled first. So, not being prepared for something as big as that was pretty ordinary. Where do your wonderful manners come from? My mum and dad. Uh, my children are the same. Um, they said manners are free. They taught us all our life. Always say please, thank you, excuse, like just. And I think the other thing with it, with manners with my children was they've seen people come up and ask for autographs and they've seen how I respond to people that say, excuse me, I know you're with your family, I'm sorry, but would you mind signing this autograph for my boy or girl? And I'd say, no problem. Hey, Warnie, sign that, mate. When I'm with my kids and they've seen my reaction to that. So they they realise that, being polite costs nothing, and it's so much more endearing to people if you got if you're well mannered. Your kids would say about you, Dad is. Uh, Dad is strict. Dad is fun, and we love him. It's all that anyone can ask, isn't That's it? That's it. At this stage in your life, you can do a podcast with anyone. It's been a great yep. thrill for me. You can choose anyone on the planet. Warning games. With yep. Who would it be? Uh, it'd have to be Bruce Springsteen. I'd, ha- I'd have to try and claw back some, even though he has no idea who I am, but or remember the moment, or he might remember the moment when some idiot asked him, well, would you mind smiling? But I'm sure that hasn't happened to him too many times, but I'd like to interview Bruce Springsteen. And yeah, I'd be Bruce Springsteen. And, and, and Chris Martin, one of my best friends, he, he's such a talented, interesting, switched on, smart guy. He's, I wish people could, listen to the conversations that him and I have about life, about his, his work, my work. They're fascinating listening to him talk. He has got it. He knows. It, he's so clever and so bright and so switched on and I'm very thankful to have him as one of my best mates. I'll have to get him on the show. Yep. Your perfect day now is? Oh, my perfect day is any days that I have with the kids chilling. You know, whether we go to a movie, whether we go to the beach, whether we sit by the pool all day and listen to some music and dance silly and throw each other in the pool and Jackson and I might wrestle or the girls will dance and put the music on and say, listen to this song, Dad. And I go, my goodness, what is that? Is that not music? 
know, I nicked your mother's cousin. And, uh, 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 I go, what the hell? Where, where's you know, Fleetwood Mac? Or something, you know? like, um, but any day spent with the kids and watching them smile and be happy uh, makes me feel good. Playing poker, you are? Uh, playing poker, I am dangerous. But I would like to be better and have more patience. If you could choose one cricketer to watch. One cricketer to watch? Right now? Uh, Virat Kohli. I think he's great for the game. Australia will be the number one test team in... I think it'll be a while till Australia back to being number one. I hope I'm wrong. Um, but at the moment, we our batting just lacks a little bit of class. And I think once Warner and Smith come back in, we're on the road to uh, getting back to being number one. St Kilda will win the Premiership. Hopefully in, in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be for the next few years. Hopefully once I turn 60. Mate, again, the book is called No Spin, Shane Warne. You heard Shane for the last hour and a bit. The book is even better than this conversation. Congratulations on the book. Best of luck with everything going forward, mate. Thanks very much for having um, me, Howie. I appreciate it. Wonderful to have a chat with you and um, call well tonight. No, well done. Good on you, Howie. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thank you. Shane Warne, one of the great entertainers both on and off the pitch. Thanks to Warney for giving up some of his time. He doesn't have much spare, it'd be true to say. You can check out his book, No Spin. You will not be disappointed. In two weeks, that's Thursday, January 17, we feature Ian Thorpe. Until then, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try Listener